morning and welcome to our continuing series of Wednesday morning panel discussions for entrepreneurs, innovators, and investors. I'm Brett Waters. I've been in Silicon Valley my entire life, immersed in the world of startups, innovation, and venture capital. I also teach entrepreneurship at Stanford University. And one of the things that I always teach my students is that great entrepreneurs are always selling. So I should mention, I have a new book out and it's available on Amazon now. Um, so as I mentioned, I've been in Silicon Valley my entire life, and when I feel like having tacos in Palo Alto with a great lawyer, I always call up Louis Lowe. Morning, Louis. Good morning, Brett, and thanks uh, for putting together another episode of this yeah. series. And uh, Louis, give us the brief background around yourself. I am. Uh, I grew up in the shadows of Silicon Valley, uh, left for 15 years and came back in 2005, and I eat, breathe, and sleep uh, startups and investors, and I help startups uh, get formed, get financed, help them scale for growth and have an awesome exit. We also help uh, emerging fund managers create new investment platforms, and we have fun doing it. I sit uh, about a mile from Stanford campus on University Avenue, and uh, that's where you'll find me, Brett. Yeah. Well, either there or Sancho's Taqueria. Or Sancho's. Yeah. Also joining us to get the East Coast perspective is Julie. Morning, Julie. Morning. Af afternoon for you. Sorry. It's okay. I'm happy to adapt. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Uh, brief, brief background on yourself. Uh, grew up in France. Um, I am actually from uh, Lyon. If you like great food and great wine, that's where you can find it. Yeah. I've been with Foley and Lerner for about 10 years now. I do venture capital, private equity, and mostly life sciences and tech by virtue of being here in Boston. Yeah. Um, that's about it. Awesome. So, um, Louis and Julie, so um, it's hard to believe that a year ago, most of us had never heard of ChatGPT. Um, and now it seems to have like completely changed the world. Um, and also a year ago, we were, you know, kind of still in the, um, in the good, the good rock and roll times of, uh, the venture capital world of the last few years. And today, as we sit here in December, 2023, uh, it's a little different landscape. Um, everything kind of feels a little different right now. So Louis, how would, how would you characterize, uh, the landscape today? Well, you know, I'm going to just take us back, Brett, to um, I think the, the the environment that most funds and startups have been in, in operating in for the last 15 years, and it's been the time of easy money. Easy uh, money. Easy money. There's a song with that name. Yeah. And beginning in early 2022, the, the Fed started racking up interest rates, which fundamentally changed the cost of capital. And we saw that Tina was no longer the star of the dance. Um, for the last 10 years, you couldn't get a return in debt securities. So Tina, there is no alternative. Tina um, was equities. And so there was uh, a golden boom in venture capital that really um, culminated in the most uh, bull market of bull markets that we saw in late 20 through the end of 2021. Uh, when we saw valuations and new funds uh, being raised like we've never seen before, far beyond what we saw in the in the dot-com era. Um, so 2022 was the year of steadily rising interest rates. And, you know, the rooster 
came home to roost in 23 um, as you know venture firms really had to pull back and we've seen a, a real uh, decline in the number of new transactions and the amount of capital that's been deployed into venture capital whether it's tech or life sciences whether you're in silicon valley or in boston um, but we also saw you know some some bright spots uh, one of those uh, bright spots is that you know silicon valley and boston truly are uh, the centers of, of where venture capital remains. Uh, number two, there is still is plenty of capital uh, dry powder uh, that sits within venture capital and private equity funds to invest. So there's a lot to be optimistic about, uh, but it's uh, certainly been a rough time in 2023. And Julie, how does the landscape look different to you than it did a year ago? Or does it look different? Does it look the same? You know, I, I agree with Louis. I, we were having a chat yesterday and I was saying, you know, Louis, I'm, whatever I say is going to sound very grim. And he said, no, we can, we can talk about how grim it's been, but let's just focus on, on how great things will be. And I do think that we have a lot of good reasons to be optimistic about the future. So the deal flow has slowed down, but I think that just gave people a good opportunity to reflect and be a bit more thoughtful about the deals that, that they enter into. And okay. so in 20 and 2021, uh, things were crazy, you know, not huge deals, but a crazy number of deals. And now we're seeing fewer deals, but much higher uh, deal values because people who are able to get that money in want to maximize that ticket and want to make sure that they get as much uh, bang for their buck as possible. So. I'm very confident that things are going to get back to normal and just normalize a bit. Um, they will have a different approach to to the way in which deals are being conducted. Um, and also, I think it gave the opportunity for other markets other than Silicon Valley or Boston to rise like Atlanta and Salt Lake City has just boomed. And I yeah. think that the slowdown has allowed these markets to also grow. Yeah. Yeah. And that Actually, brings up an interesting point, which is, um, you know, I, I mean, I remember when my VC friends would all say that they would never invest in a startup that, you know, wasn't within about a 15 mile radius of their office because uh, they wanted to be able to drive over there anytime and check up on them. Uh, and it's amazing to me how that that principle seems to have completely disappeared. You see all kinds of, uh, of cross border investment and uh, out of the region investment. And as Julie said, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of secondary and tertiary uh, centers of capital today that, you know, that you didn't see um, 20 years ago. Um, Louis, have you, you know, you, you've seen a lot of this, yes? Um, it's funny, Brett. Last night, uh, Silicon Valley Bank's Global Gateway Group hosted uh, their annual Christmas party. And this is the, the group with an SVB that goes outside the United States and serves startups and venture funds outside the United States. And I was shocked to see an old friend of mine who, who uh, I'll, I'll protect the, the guilty by not saying his name. Uh, and I said to him, hey, you know, I've seen you investing in a lot in Latin America. Why is that? And he said, you know, Louis, uh, prices are really good down there. And I like to travel. It turns <laughs> out. Right. Right. <laughs> All right. So right. Latin America has seen a, a tech boom like we've never seen before in the last right. uh, six, seven years. And it's not just uh, SoftBank, but Funds right. like Riverwood, uh, Monashies, Redpoint, and I, I could go on and on, right. have, have discovered this this great market that um, you know uh, is ripe for disruption. 
yeah, I was like, I, I would say that we've, you know, we, we've entered kind of a, a place agnostic era in the sense that it, it matters less today the place that you're in than uh, than ever before. Um, you know, Zucker, I mean, Zuckerberg, you know, dropped out of Harvard and moved from Cambridge to Silicon Valley because back then, if you if you wanted to have a tech startup, you kind of had to be here. Uh, but I think today he, he, he might make a very diff different decision than he did then. You know what I will say to that, though, and what I've noticed, especially in the last year or so, I mean, in the post-COVID era, you know those memes that you see on Instagram or TikTok and it's, you know, 2020, everybody, you know, stay home, work from home. This is great. And then 2021, we realized this was the best thing for our company ever. Everybody stay home. And then 2022... <laughs> Oh, sorry, guys. We realized yeah. that actually staying from home is not great, and you're going to have to come back to the office. I yeah. get the sense a little bit like this with investors, and so maybe you know they had this this epiphany that yes, you don't really need to be in the city if you're going to invest in a company, a specific city, or in a country. But then, as time has moved on, you still kind of miss this personal relationship that yeah. you have with people. And yeah. so now in this post COVID era, I think people are willing and want to travel and have this personal connection uh, more than ever before. Uh, so I, I have a feeling that maybe there's no longer restriction on on geography for investments, but there is definitely this push to bring back the personal relationship yeah. uh, and the face to face meetings and the in-person board meetings more than even what I saw before. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that, you know, when COVID first hit, we were all suddenly doing business on Zoom. Uh, we we were like, hey, you know, this works okay on Zoom. Um, and now we've kind of got, now after two or three years of that, we've kind of got clarity on what things do work fine on Zoom and what things, you know, will just never be the same on Zoom, right? Um, so to our audience, let me say that we'd love to get your um, your questions. And if you don't see the little chat box by the live stream, then switch over to YouTube. Just click, click right at the top there. It'll switch over to YouTube. And then you'll see the chat box if you want to participate. If you want to just simply watch and not participate, that's okay too. Um, and uh, Julie, uh, Andre in chat points out that Leon not only has good food, also has great architecture. Thank you. It's, it's actually the most beautiful city in the world. And I don't want to offend anyone on this chat, but that's just a fact. Yep. <laughs> but that's just a fact. <laughs> so um, let me ask you guys another question. So to me, one of the things, you know, in terms of the headlines for 2023, one of the headlines for 2023 is that governance matters, uh, that the FTX debacle was an example of just complete lack of governance, right? I mean, how how did Sand Hill Road investors put hundreds of millions of dollars into a company that had no board of directors? <laughs> and uh, you know, and then the OpenAI uh, uh, thing last month also was kind of a governance cluster. Um, and so, I'm curious whether you, the two of you, have any uh, kind of observations about that. That you know. My experience is that for the most part, seed level investors don't really care about board seats because at the seed level, you just kind of want the entrepreneur to go, 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 go. But, you know, once you start getting into seven and eight figures worth of investment, institutional investment, then you kind of want a formalized board and a formal uh, and a seat on that board. 
Um, so I'm just kind of curious as the deals that you guys have seen in 2023, is there any more emphasis on governance structure? Julia, I'm happy for you to start off or I can kick off. Sure. So the one trend that I've seen, so first of all, when you, when you come to a law firm, you know, you, you come to us, governance is, is we're going to set the record straight very quickly as to what needs to get done, mm -hmm. how things need to look in order for you to raise funds and so on and so forth. With that said, the one trend I've seen is that people are using safes more than ever yeah. and lawyers a lot less for these early stage raises. And it's they can Google how to use a safe and it is very easy. Right. So this is not me, you know, sending out a plug to use lawyers the second you try to raise a dollar. I do like the safe and I and I like its goal. With that said, governance has has been set aside and we've been doing a whole lot more cleanup than ever before. And so perhaps companies have been stretching that a little more and maybe going into the seed, you know, doing a safe round as a seed, trying to just Google their way into how to raise funds and how to run the company. And I think engaging lawyers has been left to a later stage, which again, if that works for you, that's fine. Um, but I think that's also part of the issue that you're just setting bad corporate governance, uh, corporate governance uh, methods very early on and just getting into bad habits. Uh, so that's, yeah. that's one of the trends I've been seeing. Yeah. So I think I, I would certainly concur with that as an observation that, you know, that years ago, even a seed financing would have, you know, a law firm representing both sides. Uh, and today, safes frequently happen without counsel. And as you said, Julie, that's kind of one of the advantages of a safe. But that also means you can create um, all kinds of compliance issues to be cleaned up later. Yeah. Louis? Um, you know, when, when we act for companies or investors that are raising significant amounts of capital on a safe, I, I think there are ways to invest safely, like with an extended side, side letter with a voting agreement that sets up a board. You know, and I want to go back to the to the comment about open AI. And, um, you know, there's been a movement over the last 20 years for investors and companies to consider um, goals far beyond just making a profit. And I think artificial intelligence is is a, is a great example because of the, the great power that this technology has to change the way we live, work and play. Um, the fourth industrial revolution that uh, is the namesake of Brett's awesome Zoom accelerator. Um, and um, so we've seen a number of companies set themselves up with uh, a trust, uh, a long term trust that has the right to appoint a majority of the of the board seats and that the, the terms of the trust are such that the company is, is and the directors that it appoints are required to take into account nonprofit factors. And in fact, um, in the case of, of some of these companies, and I, I won't speak about any particular company uh, in case of there's a conflict of interest, uh, but there are uh, companies that are not allowed to look at profit at all. And they're only supposed to be looking for the long-term good of society. And that's really where we get into a tough situation. And, and I think the lesson of open AI for me, Brad, has been not to confuse control and power um, or conspiracy with competence. Uh, because I think in, in both cases, uh, those that thought that they had power failed to realize that they didn't. And, yeah. and those that were operating a conspiracy perhaps lacked uh, competence. Right. Uh, and, 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 so and I doubt. Full circle. 
I doubt that Sasha will anytime soon invest $10 billion in something and find out that he has absolutely no, <laughs> no board rights or control at all. <laughs> well, again, back to my point, he, he did have control uh, because within a matter of days, yeah. everything was back exactly as he yes. wanted it. In fact, yeah. those um, people who, who were on the board looking out for the long-term yeah. good of the population were replaced uh, yes. by people that put were on... pure capitalists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I say that uh, Sacha put on a master class over that weekend. Yes. It was amazing. He, he swooped in and uh, scooped up all the chips and flew out. You know, anyway. I want to just mention one, one, one thing that just surprised me also the other night, and it was the first time it happened, at least, the first time somebody was as open as they were to me, and I hope none of my existing or that the specific client is watching this. But um so, you know, LLC agreements, just for example, are very, are negotiated very carefully. The control rights are negotiated very carefully. They're not all the same. It's not like a Delaware corporation's bylaws that really all say the same thing. But um, this client was asking me questions via text message and saying, oh, who has the right to do this? Who has the right to approve these things? And I was answering his questions and he says, okay, much more helpful than Chad GPT. And so basically, before coming to me, he had been asking Chad GPT, oh, who has the right to approve these things in a Delaware LLC? And they were just giving them, you know, the great Chad GPT answers that Chad GPT does so well. And so I think maybe that's just something that's misleading. People don't know what they don't know, and they assume wrongly that Chad GPT will give the right answer um, to these questions, which are not just cookie cutter. Right. So Franklin, Franklin asks a question in chat. He says, Liquid AI and a few of the other chat GPT four startups are taking down Series A new money, $200 million plus. How can a deal like that possibly be structured? Multiple tranches. So I guess what Franklin's asking is on very large investments like that, are they, uh, are they structured as multiple tranches? I think that is his question. I'm, I'm happy to, to take this one and please yeah. jump in, Julie. But um, when when we hosted Ted AI a couple of months ago, uh, Deep Nashar, who's now an MD at um, General Catalyst, got this question and he gave a brilliant answer, which is that um, investors invest uh, based on one of two factors, either it's hope or it's reality. And in, in the Series A context, we do not yet have product market fit. Product market fit is when you've got $10 million of contracted annual recurring revenue. And anything up until then is, is a good fortune, good signs, traction, but it's not product market fit. And so anything that's uh, getting a $200 million valuation at Series A uh, is being invested on, not on reality, but on hope. Uh, and that means actually, I think, actually, I think of Franklin's question, it's not a $200 million valuation. I think he's saying $200 million in new money going in at a Series A. Which right. would be a very be a very large Series A. Yes, and, and and it's it's it means that it's being invested on based on hope that yeah, that there is a rock star uh, founder who's done this before, um, and and uh, who commands that kind of uh, trust and respect, and that there's probably a group of VCs that have put this syndicate together that they all trust each other to make sure that they're going to uh, bring this bring this forward. Um, but you know, I, you were you referenced this in one of your missives, Brett. That um, the age of you know farmed uh, startups uh, uh, might might be over, uh, where we see you know large VC fundings of of two hundred million or 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 more that that happen. Um, 
maybe a word from you on that. Yeah, well, first of all, I want to give credit to uh, Sam Lesson of uh, uh, of Slow Measures. That's where he came up with the the term fact, uh, factory farm unicorns, meaning that we've kind of gone through this period where you know the Sand Hill Road folks have picked a winner in the what they believe to be a winner in the category, uh, and just plowed money into that company round after round, right from the seed all the way through a Series E through hopefully an IPO. Um, so he calls Sam calls those factory farmed unicorns, and he says that the era of factory farmed unicorns is is over. Um, and I agree with that. These um, two hundred these very large AI uh, funding rounds, I think, have subsided. Uh, I think the the market's turned. Um, I, I agree with Sam Lesson that the 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 age of of, uh, of easy money is over. Yeah. Uh, where we shouldn't be be seeing this. Um, I haven't seen these deals being tranched. I've seen them coming in all at once, maybe with a little bit of an extra pocket for a subsequent closing in the next 90 days. So mm -hmm. may maybe it's 180 million at, at the first closing and then 20 million in case they have mm -hmm. uh, strategic investors they want to bring in who could move mm -hmm. the needle for them in mm -hmm. terms of uh, a channel partnerships or customer growth. Um, but I think 2023 is going to be a reckoning for all of these AI companies because yeah. if they can't get to 10 million of revenue, um, it's going to be real hard to to get the next tranche of money. Also, then, I'm seeing a lot of tranche deals, especially in the healthcare space, hmm. where you know, bird in the hand is great, and so people are essentially buying an option. Um, and the second tranche is all, and and it's you know, a lot of the times it's 50 50. Uh, or even a smaller first tranche with the second tranche being subject to FDA approval being obtained or some successful yeah. clinical trial. Yeah. Uh, so I'm seeing that a lot still there, especially when you have these large ticket sizes. Right. So sort of conditional tranches. That's right. This, this tranche will come That's right. know, so once, once you hit this milestone. A bit of a mix between, so hope as in you're going into this, this transaction and, and signing the dotted line and saying, I will commit to putting in this amount of money, but based on reality where you really have to hit specific targeted milestones in order for uh, your obligation to continue. And, and that's a great difference in investing between tech and life sciences. Historically, life sciences, which is so outcome dependent on a, a phase one, two or three clinical test uh, has tranched yeah. investing, but we, we have seen it in tech um you know more and more during during the slowdown of the last two years I, I still would say it's it's the exception to the rule rather than um the rule itself and then johnny johnny asks about uh are you seeing any movement in vcs toward funding more capital intensive businesses louis i'll let you give a shot um i i have not seen that is, is the I short answer I think Johnny, if if anything, it's probably sliding the other way a little bit right now. That kind of capital light businesses are being celebrated <laughs> right now because 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 the cost of capital today, cost of capital today is just dramatically higher than it was two or three years ago. I would say the exception there is obviously corporate venture, and so um, I, I think I saw a recent uh, semiconductor. Uh, uh, new startup uh, that that raised a, a very large round from uh, a large Asian um, handheld uh, producer here in California. So there, there are exceptions, um, and and I think the the Chips Act and the Inflation Reduction Act are incentivizing those um, large transactions. Excellent point. Excellent point. Right, that the Chips Act and the IRA both have pretty substantial incentives in them that might cause 
somebody to pursue a capital intensive business uh, who wouldn't pursue it without those government programs. That's an excellent point, Louis. Yeah. Um, let's see. So what else we want to talk about here, guys? Um, so one of my favorite topics with regard to seed stage investing is, uh, is safe sources, convertible notes. And, uh, I know Louis, you and I have talked before about how, um, you know, the, the whole idea with the safe was supposed to be that it was a lightweight document. Uh, but you've often, Louis, you said you've often seen safe deals done where they load up they load up all kinds of stuff into a side letter and so so it's no longer really a lightweight document <laughs> exactly so if anybody's investing just on the the safe that's downloaded from y combinator that's probably a friend or a family member mm -hmm. uh, an operator collective it's probably a check for not more than 25 or fifty thousand dollars but as soon as you get into a, a million dollar round um, you, you, if you're an entrepreneur, you should expect, uh, that the investor is going to hit you with a side letter that might be five or six pages in length. And it's going to have some, uh, questions about, uh, how the, the company was formed. It's going to ask you a little bit about your vesting of your own equity. Um, and, and it's, uh, going to have some, uh, potentially some governance protections for the investor, whether it's a board seat or information rights or, or other things. Uh, same with the convertible note. Uh, the safe continues to be, in, in, uh, in my experience, on the West Coast. Curious, Julie, if, you, if you've seen a change, but I'm still seeing that the safe is the preferred vehicle for uh, bridge financing uh, and, and early stage uh, financing. And, and convertible notes, I'm still only seeing in the context of a distressed a situation where a company's running out of money and it needs to get bridged to either a next round or or an, or an exit. Julia, tell me, are you seeing anything different in Boston? I'll say, I think people maybe are a little more conservative than in on the East Coast because- You don't say. Come on. <laughs> well, not me, obviously, but in general. Um, yeah, no, I'm seeing convertible notes mostly for, for bridge financing still. And and you know people like the comfort of being in a debt position uh for early stage though i will say safe has become the safes have become the the default even here and julie if a if a if a if a fund came to you if an investor if a seed fund came to you and said um should we structure our investments as seed investments as safe so convertible notes how would you answer that from a, again, from a, from the investor perspective, which do you prefer? Um, well, I would say it depends. Um, <laughs> um, you know, well, well, I, I, there's no one size fits all. I would just try to understand. I would want to understand more about the company. Do we want to be, do we have any benefit, uh, to be in a debt position? What kind of fundraising has the company done before? Have they used a safe before? Have they used a note before? um what do others want to do? do do we have more um you know are there any other more conservative investors in this syndicate are you by yourself uh are we trying to go quick do we want any reps and warranties what one of my pet peeves is using the safe and then starting to mark it up if i get a marked up safe that doesn't look exactly like the y combinator safe i'm okay with a side letter but the safe itself drives me nuts. So, you know, unless you're prepared to keep it very simple and use mm -hmm. the safe for the very purpose for which it was created, then potentially I'll consider a note again, if the context makes sense. Um, Brad, I think the, the, one of the big differences that, that 
both entrepreneurs and investors fail to realize when they're making this decision about safe versus node is the safe is constructed to be a post money instrument. It converts on a cap that is post money and a convertible note uh, converts on a pre money cap. And so you really need to understand um, in a pro forma with a, 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 a startup lawyer who knows what they're doing and can show it to you um, what things will look like um, when you convert. That, that's that's my advice. And, and uh, to all those startup entrepreneurs out there who have been raising on notes for a long time, please check the maturity date. Uh, <laughs> we're seeing a lot of the, these maturity dates come up and, and they need to be amended and extended. Uh, otherwise, uh, one of these holders could walk into your company and take it over tomorrow. Yeah. I actually had, to, had that happen to me once. I raised, raised around on convertible notes and uh, the two years came and went and we, uh, we hadn't raised an equity round, a price round. Um, and it wasn't really clear what was supposed to happen. In other words, the, the notes were just simply due and payable, right? Uh, principal plus accrued interest. Uh, and but we didn't have any way to pay them. So you know, luck, luckily, I simply you know called all the investors and proposed that we roll them over to equity on a particular uh, deal, and they all accepted. But it was a good lesson in the fact that the the expectation was that within two years we'd raise a Series A and the convertible notes would all convert. And then when that didn't happen, it wasn't exactly clear what the expectations were. Yeah, and and it is a real concern um, <laughs> if you don't have the cash to pay off a disgruntled note holder. Yeah, right. So, Brent, I would also say yeah. the following: um, a lot of investors right now are saying, "Hey, um, I, I hear you that you'd like a safe, but you know, I'd really like to make sure the governance is properly done now. So, we're going to invest on a Series seed." equity basis with a price round, very low valuation, investor takes board seat, takes a lot of rights. Um, and I think the pendulum has really swung from let's have super voting founder stock to let's have series seed preferred equity rounds with uh, low caps or sorry, low valuations and lots of governance. Yeah. I have one last question on the convertible note versus safe thing. So, um, so my understanding is that, uh, uh, debt is always senior to equity in in the case of liquidation, right? But a safe isn't that. So where where does a safe end up in the liquidation stack? In anywhere? Julie, you want to take it? Uh, you are intended to be treated as a non-participating preferred shareholder. Ah, excellent answer. Thank you. So you're gonna get you're gonna get your money before the common, right? Uh, up to your cap of two x usually. Yeah, uh, which is set forth in the safe, even um, if it even if it hasn't converted. Correct. Correct. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. It's a it's a claim against the company that that's ahead of the equity. Yeah, yeah, got it. Okay, so you still have seni seniority in the liquidation stack over over common equity. Over common, but of course yeah. not over the whatever yeah. debt or whatever's owed to employees or the the top of the pile, of the government. Right. Right. Okay, so let's talk a little about exits. So. Um, you know, the entire reason that an investor buys equity in a company is with the expectation that there will be a, you know, a liquidity exit. In other words, the company will either have an IPO or it'll get acquired by Google for a billion dollars. Um, and, you know, right now the IP, IPO window is, um, you know, not exactly wide open. Um, and we saw, I remember around the 2008 kind of time frame. We saw a lot of aqua hire kinds of deals. In other words, companies being sold 
because they just kind of stalled out. Uh, but there was value there for somebody to at least, you know, buy the talent, hire the talent. And that gave some sort of a marginal exit available to, uh, to investors. Um, but what are you seeing right now, Louis? Well, here's the thing. Um, politics aside, the, the current administration put in place a, a policy that they wanted to um, crack down on, on mergers and acquisitions by the large tech players. That their, their view, like it or not, was that this was stifling uh, innovation and competition. And so the, the big buyers, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, et cetera, have really been on the sidelines. And while there have been one or two transactions that each of those have been able to push through the Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Justice, um, they've really been told, hey, you need to be on the sidelines. We will sue you. We will block. And whether or not that, that position is, is right or not, um, it's been, it's put a real chilling effect into the market for M&A um, because the big tech buyers can't can't play. Secondarily, you're in an environment where you know the, the other buyers, the financial buyers, the private equity firms are in this environment where interest rates in the, are higher and the cost of capital is higher. Um, growth has slowed down and so valuations are way down. And so the combination of these factors, Brett, has been you know, a, a huge fall off in the volumes of, of M&A transactions uh, in the last uh, few years, but especially in 2023. Now, I think that's going to change in 2024 because um, the new venture financing is is now called an acquire. The new venture financing is this. VC says portfolio company A is going to do OK, but it's not hitting its numbers. Portfolio company B is not going to make it. So portfolio company A, you acquire B take all its money in the bank, take all its technology, take all its sales. You get to declare that you're up 40%. So you're now rule of 40 compliant. And, you know, in terms of the burn rate, we'll cut employees or, or whatever we have to do to make sure that the burn rate is, is static and that we have a good story here for portfolio company A. And then the, the, the good news for portfolio company B is they can say they had an exit. Of course, they don't say that it was a belly flop. Uh, this is the art of the belly flop. I think it's going to be venture financing 2024 is my prediction. But Julie, what do you think? No, to be perfectly honest with you, I got distracted for a second. I don't remember what the question was, but I do agree with everything that you said. Um, and I'm seeing just a lot of creativity with with investors merging their portfolio companies, coming up with very creative solutions for to, to, to issues that they potentially didn't have before. One of the other unfortunate signs also of what's been happening in 2023 is I've never done as much bankruptcy planning or pre-bankruptcy planning as I have before. And so everything you're doing is also taking into consideration, and I'm sorry, this is probably off track from what you asked, but uh, I think an important point, especially as you're going into a venture financing or, or any M&A transaction is, what would be what would happen in the case of, of a bankruptcy and if there is a belly flop what happens then we didn't really worry about that in 2020 and 2021 2022 uh this year has been one of those you know years where you have a lot of learning experiences <laughs> so uh, you know back to your predictions uh brett on what exits look like in 24 in addition to you know this art of the belly flop and and acquire you know, pickup that I expect that we'll see. 
Um, I do think that you know private equity is is going to be more aggressive in the coming year. They've they've got lots of dry powder to deploy. I think interest rates have stabilized and might even uh, drop a little bit. And and I think um, you know there's some pent up demand. So I, I think it's going to be a, a better year in 2024 for exits. Excellent. So speaking of 2024, I'd like to wrap this up with a final question for each of you. Um, so Julie and Louis, you have each uh, a lot of experience representing both investors and also founders in startup financing transactions. Um, so Louis, I'm going to ask you what advice you would give to entrepreneurs who are looking to fundraise in 2024. And Julie, I'm going to ask you what advice you would give to startup investors with regard to 2024. Who wants to go first? You know, I'll take the entrepreneur question, and and um, really, I think the the uh, my advice is always to go to hit hard and to go fast. Um, so as you're beginning the process, it's making sure you have a really good pitch deck that has a three year operating model in it, which is going to show an investor that you know that the money that they give you has to take you from point A to point B and that they can see exactly where you're going. Um, you need to have as many uh, meetings as you can. Zoom is still the preferred way a venture capital investor is going to want to meet you uh, for 15 minutes. Um, they're going to need to see your deck in advance and then they're going to need to have 15 minutes and then, th then they'll, you'll get some feedback as to whether uh, there's a fit. Um, once you have a term sheet, Brett, I, I, my, my my strong advice is to go fast. And you know the, the biggest mistake I see happening is, is lack of preparation uh, and failure to execute uh, and a process that goes on 90 days, um, which is you know every day that, that you don't close is a day of risk. Um, so that, that, that'll, I'll stop there and turn it over to you, Julie. I think that's right, although we also say that I, from, my, from what I've seen, uh, deals are just happening at a slower pace right now, and dil diligence tends to be a little bit longer. Um, a lot so longer. Think, yeah. I was going to say, yeah. my, my advice would be the exact opposite of Louis for the investors. It's don't rush into this deal. If you have dry powder and you have money, you are king. So you don't want to rush into this. You don't need to anymore. If you have a term sheet and, you know, hopefully you were able to negotiate a exclusivity period, which is not too hard these days, especially if you're um, holding the cash then take your time, do extra due diligence. You know, before maybe you were happy with red flag corporate diligence. Now, maybe go a bit deeper, do technical due diligence, do financial due diligence in depth. Um, there's no reason to rush into this right now. So that that would be my, my advice. Just, yeah. you know, yeah. um, take your time. Yeah, so I think that probably sums up the current dynamic pretty well, which is that it's shifted from being a market that was very much an entrepreneur's market to being a market that is much more the investor's market. And so, Absolutely. Yeah. And so that means that time as an investor, time is on your side now. Um, and as an entrepreneur, you, you know, you want to close the deal right away with the minimum amount of due diligence, but you're less likely to be able to get that today than you would have. But but Brent, just like when you you sell your house in Silicon Valley, you get the inspections done in advance. Um, so there is no reason that if you're an entrepreneur, you shouldn't have a sparkling clean data room and cap table ready to go with whatever patent applications already uploaded, your yeah. your equity already uploaded, so that you're minimizing this 
um, you know, desire to go slow. Uh, and and yeah. you're not you're not feeding the beast with uh, reasons to slow down. Right. Right. And, and I agree with that. If if there's one thing, um, you know, I, if I have one pet peeve in this process, it is when these companies clearly need the funds. You have an investor. You have a term sheet. They are spending so much time doing their due diligence. They want to meet you. They want to meet your management team make it a priority make them feel special don't you know m make sure you have a team worrying about operations you're the ceo right now your goal should be to fundraise and if the investor wants to have a call on this day at this time make it your priority if they want to talk to you two hours on the weekend make it your priority you want to rush and you want to make sure that the investor doesn't get distracted and wants to close as quickly as possible that would be your goal yeah, that is excellent, sage advice. Uh, big thanks to you both. This has been a great conversation, and um, you. you know, just to just to end it on a uh, on a positive note. While you know, it's it's definitely a little bit of a challenging environment right now, but I think the opportunities that are out there right now are just extraordinary. You know, I always say that through through my career, there was usually kind of one wave at a time, right? There was the semiconductor wave, and then there was the personal computer wave, and then there was the internet wave, and then there was the mobile social wave. And each one of those lasted, you know, 10, 12 years, and then we were on to whatever was next. Right now, there are, you know, four or five or six, you know, really salient waves right now. You got the AI thing, you got medical technology, you got autonomous vehicles. So I do think that... Um, climate know, change. Climate, yeah, climate's a pretty big one, right? Space travel. Um, space travel. Ag tech. I'm actually pretty excited about ag tech. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on in ag tech right now. And ag tech is kind of at the intersection of two megatrends, right? One is that we're burning the planet to death. And the, and the second is that agriculture turns out to be one of the contributors to the fact that we're burning the planet to death. And so at the intersection of those two things is an opportunity to, um, to make, some, you know, make, make a huge difference. So um, while it's true that the capital markets are a little more challenged right now than they have been in recent years, I think the opportunities ahead are extraordinary. So uh, thanks very much to our audience for uh, joining. And uh, thanks again to uh, Louie and Julie. It's been a great conversation. Thanks. Thank you, yeah. Brett. Thanks, Julie.